is Chicago's Progressive Talk, 820 AM, WCPT Willow Springs, and online at WCPT820.com, where facts matter. When a loved one, your father, your sister, your aunt, your grandparent, is facing a cancer diagnosis, you want them to have access to the most promising cancer treatments available. I'm Sonequa Martin-Green, and when my mother was diagnosed with cancer, our world changed forever. I wanted to know that she was getting the best treatments available. This experience made me so passionate about spreading awareness of treatment options, including clinical trials. That's why I'm joining Standards of Cancer to get information to the people who need it most, those who have been diagnosed with cancer and their loved ones. Clinical trials introduce new hope for patients, providing access to cutting-edge and potentially life-saving new treatments, while patients receive the best current care or treatments available. My hope is that all people diagnosed with cancer have access to effective treatments that will make them long-term survivors, like my mom. Talk to your doctor to see if a clinical trial may be the best choice for you or a loved one. To learn more, visit StandUpToCancer.org forward slash clinical trials today. Furnished by Stand Up To Cancer. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. When you need auto parts, O'ReillyAuto.com is just a few clicks away. We offer convenient options for you to get your parts quickly. Order online and pick up for free at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. We'll even bring it out curbside. Or you can have your parts delivered right to your door with free shipping on most orders over $35. Visit O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts This week at Macy's, no matter how you school, we're getting you ready with an extra 20% off when you use your coupon or Macy's card. That's on top of already great savings, like 40 to 75% off the best essentials, from backpacks to denim and more. Also get 25% off your favorite active looks, including select Nike for the whole family. Now at Macy's. And get contact-free curbside pickup at select locations. Find a location near you at Macy's.com slash stores. Indeed knows that for any business, your next step is the most important one, like hiring someone who can make a real impact. Indeed can help you find high-impact hires faster, without any long-term contracts. And you pay only for what you need, thanks to our super-flexible payment options. So why not take that next step with Indeed? Get started with a free $75 credit for your first job post and get in front of more quality candidates. Go to Indeed.com slash high impact. That's Indeed.com slash high impact. Terms and conditions apply. In uncertain times, you can be certain of this. The Salvation Army is serving those most in need with help and hope. Thanks to your donations, the Salvation Army is helping those affected by COVID-19, those who've lost wages, who have no home to retreat to, who need food, help with utilities, and most of all, hope. To see how you can continue to make a difference, visit GiveWestwood.org. GiveWestwood.org. Life, Love, and the Grind is sponsored by Life, Love, and the Grind Limited, and to the extent applicable, their guests. The views and opinions expressed therein do not necessarily reflect those of News Web Radio Company or its management. Guys, welcome back to another episode of Life, Love, and the Grind. We have some great guests today. As uh, you know, we are always a little hesitant about bringing politicians on because usually they have a very contrived, scripted message. As you know, if you listen, Sean Allen and I, I'm Raza Siddiqui, again with Sean, uh, with Sara Sadat, are always kind of arguing about uh, the benefits of bringing on activists who are actually on the ground, on the streets, fighting for a cause. And, and we're always going back and forth. I'd rather get more activists rather than politicians. For once, we have 
have someone who's both. We're joined today by Alderman Byron Citro Lopez from the 25th Ward. And Alderman, there's a lot going on in Chicago and a lot that we want to talk about because, um, I mean, let's just talk about your week. In the past week, you have been at numerous uh, kind of events showing your solidarity with Black Lives Matter, with other organizations, talking about the importance of um, being able to protest, uh, being able to get the message out there. There's obviously a lot of anxiety coming in with uh, Operation Legend, um, the President Trump's uh, bringing in the federal troops in Chicago. What's going on? What's your philosophy with what's happening? Yeah, and no, thank you, Raz. And I think um, very much so uh, appreciate the, the kind of approach that, that, that you have in your show because it's really at the grassroots level and, and people on the ground when you really see what's going on, uh, especially now with, when, we, when we find out uh, about these, uh, these events of federal agents coming to the, to the city and in, in a decision that was rushed in the last minute after Mayor Lightfoot has herself uh, just a few days before uh, stated um, you know, very firmly that she was not going to collaborate with uh, with Trump or uh, allow uh, federal troops or federal agents, as you said, um, to come to the um, uh, to come to the city. Now, what what I think is important to note uh, and, and is really important in this case is that uh, we got we got to understand how we get here, mm. right? And that's important for us because I think the big piece that is missing here is that we are here. In uh, uh, when obviously with the the type of violence that nobody is disregarding that we have seen and a spike of violence like we never seen before. Oh, absolutely! I mean, I mean, fifteen shot outside of a funeral home with two Chicago's uh, police squad cars out there. there. There's an epidemic of violence, so we need to figure out that happy medium, right? Or uh, how, how do we go about it? Absolutely. So here's what is important to know: how we get here, because of course, you know, and and you know, to to um, to Mayor Lightfoot, uh, you know, this red of all you know say well you know um that trump is not doing this or trump is this well let's analyze how we get here and i think that's what is important to note that mayor lightfoot is failing in her policies he's failing uh, as the mayor of the city to make sure that we we address the issue of violence that has been an, of, indeed it has been an issue that's been with us for a long time but what we're seeing is uh, a situation that is deteriorating very rapidly and also has been dismissed by the mayor in the past. She has continued to continuously said that, um, you know, that she's, she's doing everything she can, that she's going above and beyond, uh, to address the issue. But let's, let's recall in the last budget meeting, we have already, a number of us, uh, have already raised some red flags for Mayor Lightfoot about the issues of violence prevention, the lack of resources for violence prevention programs, the lack of resources for housing, and and, uh, access to health, you name it, mental health resources. Well, well so I'm seeing that, that you're saying that there's somewhat of a failure to actually implement some of the uh, policies that'll make the city safer. On July 22nd, uh, President Trump said uh, that the federal law enforcement is coming to restore public safety, protect uh, our children, and bring resident uh, uh, or violent perpetrators to justice. Those sound like good goals. Is, is that not what you expect to happen? Is, is that um, something the mayor should look at? Or, or why are we standing somewhat against that? Wouldn't that be a good idea? Yeah. Those sound like ideas that, that the city should be embracing. Yeah. Now, one of, one of, the, one of the key parts here is that uh, we're trusting with a racist administration. We're, we're trusting an administration that has uh, breaking every promise, including most recently Mayor, uh, President Trump has even gone as far as to say that he's not going to accept the results of the election. I mean, we're talking about an administration that have consistently failed to, com to, to, to fulfill their own promises. Now, Mayor Lightfoot, I understand, feels that she has no other choice. 
But the reason why we get here is because of the lack of action under her administration. Uh, we, we have had uh, a, a federal relief that received $1.3 billion. We have asked Mayor Lightfoot to allocate money for violence prevention programs. We have asked Mayor Lightfoot to address the issue of in housing issues that we have, allocating housing relief for the most vulnerable, access to mental health care. We have asked the mayor repeatedly about the consequences of not addressing this in the most uh, vulnerable communities in the city, south side, west side. We see the, the situation in our communities, and what we are hearing, not new, not now, but consistently from Mayor Lightfoot, is more policing. What we've seen in, in, on, on our city right now, and these are data, this is hard data, facts. We have the, the, the city with the most police officers per capita. Now, when you have 40% of our budget going towards uh, the CPD without any accountability, now, we're still waiting for Mayor Lightfoot to take concrete steps towards police accountability. Now, they, she mentions the, the, the consent decree, and she's mentioned so many, many excuses of why she's delayed on something that should have been, I mean, uh, well, let's recall what happened with the case of La Juan McDonald. Let's recall that this has become a major issue, not now. It's been an issue in the city of Chicago for a long time. But the lack of action, the Mayor Lightfoot, and the lack of concrete, bold steps, so that we are not in this position where her failed policies now make her feel like there's no other choice. There's no other way to do this. But we, we see the track record that policing hasn't worked. What we, what we see has worked is actually put resources in our communities. When we put uh, resources in our schools, when we invest in social workers, when we invest in housing relief, violence prevention programs, we see the results. Mayor Lightfoot has gone the other way. Every single time, every time in your life, but even the, the latest popular opinion about, you know, uh, making sure that we uh, we reallocate resources, that we make sure even we have a, a conversation about br bringing um, or taking out CPD from our public schools. Right. I mean, we see major cities, a lot of municipalities going that route, reallocating resources, rethinking how we can make sure that we bring relief and resources and violence prevention programs to the areas that are most in need. Mayor Lightfoot is moving completely the different, in a different direction. And furthermore, now has trust a president that has very little credibility across the country in one of very complicated, complex issues like, like, uh, like violence in the city of Chicago. It is her responsibility. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, one of the things that gave me pause when I heard that federal troops were coming is that we have gone so far in establishing accountability within our police department, proper oversight, making sure the body cameras are on, making sure that they're held accountable. Now you have um, federal agents, and, and I don't have a lot to go on, but I've seen what happened in Portland. Absolutely. They're coming, and they're coming in, in fatigue where you don't know what agency they're in. That's right. So let alone not identifying themselves, but how are you going to hold them accountable? How are you going to see that body cam footage? How are we going to go from an era where we're not going back to John Burge in Holman Square, uh, getting eliciting confessions, but knowing that these are law enforcement officers who are actually doing what they can to make sure that, that people are safe. What's that accountability? Have mm -hmm. you as a city been able to have that dialogue with uh, the federal government to be able to figure out what exactly the protocols are going to be? Yeah. And you hit the nail on this one because it's exactly the lack of dialogue. I mean, this kind of agreements, if, if we're going to get into some agreements like that, they have to be super detailed about what, how is uh, uh, the DEA going to intervene? How is the city going to collaborate? What's going to go with ICE? We have Homeland Security as one part of the list of 
agents that are going to come in. We have a number of agencies that are going to come in and, and quote-unquote collaborate without much discussion, without, mu without anything in writing, for what I can tell. Uh, is what we see is a decision post-city council uh, meeting. I mean, we had just a city council meeting where the mayor had an opportunity to perhaps discuss that with us. And unfortunately, he didn't hear anything until a phone call uh, with, uh, with the president where she basically said, you know what, we're just going to go with this agreement. So again, this kind of lack of, of details mm -hmm. and, and lack of a ability uh, is not only worrying and concerning me, and I'm sure concerning uh, reporters for what happened in Portland, right? Where even the mayor of Portland was was a victim of ga uh, um, tear gas, right? By, by, by the federal agents. So again, when we see what's going on in Portland, when we judge what the track record of this president is, what prompts Mayor Lightfoot to take such a, such a decision without much discussion? But unfortunately, what we've seen is that's, that's her approach. That's the unilateral decision-making that she is becoming too used to, and I'm not the only one who's questioning this. We just recently, over the weekend, uh, a list of at least 50 public officials uh, and, and uh, dozens of community groups, uh, including the, the Cook County uh, Public Defender's Office, mm. are questioning this decision precisely because there has not been any conversation and what we've seen in Portland should be enough for us to caution us. I mean, this is just days ago that we see this happening in Portland and all of a sudden, Mayor Lightfoot, on her own, decides to make this decision without any consultation, without conversations without any details. So, of course, we're going to be concerned, and I'm not the only one, and the 50 officials plus dozens of community groups are asking Mayor Lightfoot to stop this kind of collaboration, uh, you know, because we, we don't even know at what extent, what kind of collaboration they're having, and the risk that we, and the risk and the trust that we've seen in Portland is not something that we're going to tolerate here in Chicago. So I, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to take this moment to kind of explain. So nine counties are covered by Life, Love, and the Grind here on WCPT. So there are a lot of people who may not be familiar with the demographics and the area that the 25th Ward covers. Mm -hmm. Let's tell them. It's always been kind of like a safe haven, um, a, a, a place where a port almost where the immigrant communities have come in. Currently, it's representative of Pilsen. Um, also, Little Italy. I should let you talk. I, I mean, you know a little bit more about this war than yes. I, so please tell mm -hmm. us uh, the, the connection with the immigrants there Absolutely. and how your constituents feel about uh, what's going on. Absolutely, and I think you're right. Um, the 25th Ward has been the home for a, a very strong uh, enclave of immigrants. Uh, Chinatown is also part of my district. Pilsen, uh, Little Italy, McKinley Park, West Loop, um, South Loop, and we also have a strong enclave of the uh, uh, black community too, and the Abla Homes, Barbara Jean Wright Courts. So we do have a very diverse and uh, uh, very strong community in the sense of people want to see policies that address the issue of violence, right? I think that people, that what I hear from my constituents is, well, we've seen the lack of accountability in the police department. We see the violence affecting our youth and our most vulnerable. And on top of that, we've seen also what the federal government has done to the immigrant community. The, uh, the federal government has Right now, as we speak, children in cages have separated families, uh, you know, in disproportional rates like we've never seen before. So there sounds like a lack of fundamental trust between Absol the two groups. Absolutely. <laughs> so at the very least, what you expect is like an administration that harasses the immigrant community uh, on a daily basis. And then all of a sudden you hear... Here in the city of Chicago, where we're supposed to be a century city, where we should have this conversation, it's a serious conversation about what's going on and the impact on, on, on black youth and the impact on immigrant communities, 
Will the sudden see a decision made all of a sudden without much consultation? Of course, we have residents who are concerned. And of course, in the sense of uh, what is and the intentions of the Trump administration with all this, um, I mean, I'm not sure if Mayor Lightfoot sees it that way, but I'm telling you, you know, in our community, there's a lot of fear, a lot of fear and concern, not only in the immigration side, but also what's happening in terms of, uh, you know, black youth who are now already feeling, um, uh, you know, the tension with police. And then we're going to put even more, you know, agents. You know, so we, we we are not only here in the immigrant community, but also with a lot of our black, a lot of the residents across the district who are concerned about what um what you know what is going to be the collaboration and without details. I'm, I, that's why we are sending this letter from the with the public fifty public officials who want who want this to be to end because we don't have any kind of clarity or any details of this. And labor organizations joined on to this as well. So it's not just a civil civil rights um sort of uh, mechanism, but also I heard labor organizations elected officials all kind of chimed in. One thing I do want to talk about is when this mayor was elected, it was obviously historical. There was a lot of excitement about seeing the uh, the city's, uh, you know, a, a new representation for the city. Do you feel like your constituents have been let down? There was a lot of uh, excitement about it. Or, or do they feel that, that she'll step up and do the right thing? What are you hearing? What's dialogue like in your community? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're certainly concerned just because of the actions. I think that the discourse and the, the platitudes are one thing, but the actions, uh, speaks for them, they speak for themselves. I think that, uh, of course, you know, in a city like Chicago where we have seen the, the atrocities that happened in the past and the previous administrations, the school closings, mental health clinics have been closed, the lack of access to affordable housing. We've seen the, the spike in homeless, um, uh, residents all over the city. We saw a really tough situation for, and now, this was an opportunity for for real change. Mm-hmm. I lead, I'm including myself, perhaps opportunity to reset the button and 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 rethink how we're going to approach these tough issues, including the issue of violence. We have seen, however, is the same old policies of the past. We have seen a police department operating without accountability. We see lack of resources or violence prevention programs, lack of investment in the south south west side. Black and brown communities struggling in the middle of a pandemic without relief, and that's a concern. That for what the rhetoric we see another other neoliberal administration implementing and I think a lot of the a lot of the, the, the thing that we see in the inside it really suggests a lot of the same players making the same decisions so my, my, I think my constituents including myself are concerned uh, are we moving in a different direction or is this just more of the past um, and I, I've got to ask you like being a kind of a political outsider coming in as an activist it must be frustrating to have to deal with an establishment and I'm going to ask you how you deal with that but I could ask you questions <laughs> all day Paul looks like we have a caller could you tell us uh, who the caller is let's get a chance to get the community to ask some questions again you can uh, reach out to us ask uh, the alderman questions at 773-763-9278 Paul who we got this is Jim from South Elgin Jim you are on uh, life love and the grind you're talking with uh, Alderman Byron uh, Sicho Lopez <laughs> okay well I was actually calling about something COVID but um, I do a lot of things about State Chicago. Now, um, Alderman, are you in charge? Are you in favor or against the sanctuary city politics? I, I, I support the sanctuary city politics. Yes. Well, you do realize when you do that, you're actually supporting more crime because instead of the people leaving the way they should be when they do another crime, uh, they come back in society and oftentimes do more crime. <clears throat> so, by supporting sanctuary city policies. What you're doing is you're basically supporting more criminal activity. And you talk about a lack of resources in, in the city of Chicago. 
you know, one of the problems we have in Chicago and Illinois is all these high taxes. You know, and a lot of people leave the state and leave the region. So the money that we should have, we don't have because people are leaving and they take their pocketbook with them. So if you want to do something well for the community, <coughs> you should advocate reversing taxes, get rid of these regulations that cause people to flee the, the, the state and the city. You know, we're going to lose another campaign, uh, a congressional seat with the next election come, uh, that's the trip the census, rather, come up this year. So, so many people leave in Chicago and leave in Illinois. You know, you can go to Indiana and save a boatload of money on everything, you know, food and groceries and, you know, being done, you know, products because taxes are less and things like this. So by supporting the policies that you've been doing year after year, you're advocating for lower economic success and you're seeing it. So I'm just going to repeat this question real quick for our, our uh, streaming audience as well. Um, and basically you were questioning or, or, or you were um, a proponent of the fact that Sanctuary Cities actually introduces more criminal elements perhaps into our community. And I want to give the alderman a chance to respond to that. Yeah. And I'm going to, you know, and I'm going to be very, uh, very clear on this question because there's no evidence that suggests such a thing in terms of the Sanctuary City being uh, uh, an issue in the city of Chicago in terms of this, this spike on, on crime and violent crime in particular. I think that we have plenty of, of examples of, in fact, 30 plus percent of our small businesses come, in fact, for the immigrant community. And we do have a, an immigrant community who has been the backbone of, the, of Chicago for centuries. So I, I do think that we have to be careful in this notion uh, that somehow uh, this is, again, this is a, a Trumpian um, approach that the immigrant community is causing crimes, that this is the immigrant community, if anything, is the problem that we, we have to address. Now, let Let's go back to the real issue because I think that there's some things that he's he's mentioned about economic activity and I think again small businesses are of course you know part of the backbone and small businesses also have a big chunk of immigrant owned businesses that we have blank owned businesses that are today struggling and I think that there's uh, if we're gonna take a, a, on on the evidence base what, what 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 he does mention is the lack of support for the small businesses especially the small businesses right now so and and also the lack of employment opportunities for black and brown uh, communities. I do think that that is a fundamental problem it's because what we see right now, developers, right, that, right, I mean, mega developers that are getting even TIF money, subsidies from the government, and that money uh, is created, you know, is used to create luxury housing, right, to make more profit. This is a this is this is a fundamental problem on on the fiscal approach to our issue. So we are, are giving away public dollars for luxury development, for profit development of often developers not even from the city of Chicago, distracting wealth from our city. On top of that, and there's a lot of issues with the issue of local hiring or local youth or youth or long or, or long or residents. Well, these not developments able... kind of strike me as almost like the Walmart uh, uh, of uh, <laughs> you know they're pushing out the local mom and pop shops. They're pushing out the local community, the identity of that community and trying to create something different, trying to create something more universal. And where does that leave your residents? Where does that leave the uh, the people who make this city great, the ethnic diversity, the stories of inclusion that we should be fostering? Absolutely, because that is a, a fundamental way of how we can address the violence, we can address the, the inequality and poverty in the city of Chicago. So he does have indeed a, a, a good 
question, I think that the, the diagnosis of the problem is off, right? Uh, but, but this right in terms of these developers extracting, and it's not only developers, corporations like Walmart and Target that get taxes, tax breaks, that get incentives, they got even TIF money. But let's look at what they do for the city of Chicago. We have developers who got well, Lincoln Yards on the 78. 78 is in my district. They just took uh, $2.4 billion in TIF money. Let's see how much are they giving back. Let's see how many people from the community they're hiring, mm. right? So we're not only we're losing on the, the, the chunk of money that we put in, but also the opportunity to create jobs, to create investment for the people of the city of Chicago. And I'm not the only one, even some colleagues who don't agree with me have said that a lot of the jobs are going to Indiana, are going to Michigan, are going to our state. So we're losing not only in our public investment, but even the revenue we're generating that is not a small revenue. Talk about $20 billion in the next few years that could be generated by these mega developments. Where are they going? Again, to corporations, developers, and the well-connected that don't invest in the city of Chicago. Now, we can make a different choice, but let's not, bl- let's not blame the immigrants for this. These are, these are decisions that are done by developers, corporations, who fund the mayor's campaign as well. So that's what this problem is about. Now, when we talk about the small businesses and what we need to make sure that we help them, indeed, let's create employment and opportunity. A lot of the small businesses and restaurants are being now closed or cannot operate, right? Who are the big, big, big uh, benefactors of all this? The corporations like Walmart or Target, which Mayor Lightfoot actually <laughs> went in favor even further, almost trying to change a law to make sure that the lobbies from Walmart is not able to do business again. Well, so we can go on and on about and, what we can we do. We can go on and on about know? this all day, but I will tell you, Life, Love, and the Grind does support small businesses, and to that effect, these are the small businesses which support us. Perfect perfect uh, time. (laughs) Hi, I'm attorney Lou Kyra, owner and managing partner of the GWC Injury Law Firm. Over the course of just a few short weeks, COVID-19 has changed our entire world. During this difficult and uncertain time, it is now more important than ever to stay connected and try to help those in need. At GWC, we have the technology and processes in place to do just that. We are still signing up cases remotely and taking depositions and settling cases in order to obtain full, fair, and complete compensation for our clients. We want you to know that our team is working 24-7 to fight for your rights, just like we've been doing for over 40 years. We also want to take this opportunity to give a huge shout out to all of our first responders and healthcare workers who selflessly risk their health every day in order to save the lives of complete strangers. You men and women are the true heroes. From our family to yours, thank you and please be safe. GWC, for your free remote access consultation, call me 24-7 at 312-999-9999. Megan Financial is an independent retirement and financial services firm dedicated to the working men and women of organized labor. Megan provides straightforward, custom-fit financial advice and specializes in defined benefit and defined contribution pension plans, as well as participant and retiree health and welfare benefits. Megan Financial has the knowledge and experience to navigate the union member through all phases of life. Call 708-444-1090. Securities and advisory services offered through Satera Advisors, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, a broker-dealer, and registered investment advisor. Satera is under separate ownership from any other named entity. Office location at 5321 South 94th Avenue, Orland Park, Illinois, 60462. 
Welcome back to Life, Love, and the Grind. I'm your host, Raza Siddiqui. Sean Allen sitting this one out. Sarah Sadat behind the, the console helping out with the producing. Uh, we're here with Alderman um, Byron Lopez from the 25th Ward. And we want to get into, because there's a lot going on, we talked a little about um, uh, basically the federal agents and some of the concerns that are coming in the community. But we also want to talk about some of the other uh, activities going on in the city. You've been... Um, on the streets a lot this week. Uh, you, you were uh, in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. I was actually at a, a, another press conference, um, what was it, on Friday that uh, Jamal Green was putting on, talking about the statue, the statue of Christopher mm-hmm. Columbus coming down. I really do want to get your take on that mm-hmm. because I did hear something very interesting that I, I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. He was having a press conference and there were a lot of uh, people driving, yelling ignorant comments, but one person of uh, Italian descent came down and said something that kind of made somewhat sense to me. He's like, you can't build a narrative of one ethnic group by tearing down the cultural significance of another. Mm. And I was like, well, you know what? When I have the alderman on, I want to ask him about that. Yeah. Alderman, what do you say? Yeah, that's well, and, and indeed, this is important that we separate the issues, right? The issues of the statues, and in particular, the, the Columbus statues, right? I think it's very clear. We look at the facts, right? That, you know, the, the statue does represent colonization and, and genocide. And a lot of, the, a lot of the, 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 the people in the community, of course, are challenging the history because... We are talking about changing the history and making sure that we have a structural change. Now, I do think that what is, and I do represent the Little Italy community as well, at least a part of it. And I had, you know, a good conversation. And in fact, uh, um, many, many of the uh, the constituents that I have have reached out to have a dialogue about this. And indeed, I think that we, there's an understanding that we need to make sure that we don't make we don't make this about a, a, an issue of uh, of, eth- of ethnic change or ethnic um, disputes per se. Right? Yeah, we don't want to pit one community against the other but but what it seems to me is that's the perception that sometimes comes out that that, that you're doing this and and, and it's funny because i'll sometimes hear people say you're you're taking down um uh the dis- italian descent and i'm like well i think he actually did this in terms of uh, spanish colonization right. but at the same time this is part of history you can't dispute the fact that this is something that should be discussed and sometimes i believe this is something i believe when you tear down some of these statues you lose an opportunity to discuss absolutely right? And that's the thing. That's what we cannot lose now. And unfortunately, that's. And first, let me thank uh, the young people, especially those activists. That's what I commend the group uh, of Black Lives Matter, the young, the young people who have been out there courageously to make sure that there's a clear discussion around this. I have certainly heard from from uh, from our constituents. I've heard, heard from also the communities that I represent. And I think what I hear very clear is that the dispute is around the history that we need to change and overcome that structural racism that is uh, we're not right now as we speak facing and. The to challenge now when I talk to um, and I think that we have heard from many people in the little little community who understand okay uh, and of course there's more dialogue that needs to happen so that more people can understand that I was mean, just recently with with a constituency so well you know uh, this represents you know some of my childhood memories this represents some of the things that you know uh, where I grew up right and I said well yes let me uh, let's talk about this issue and I'm, I used to be a teacher so I like to discuss this in detail and say well but listen what if I tell you that this is what represents for other people people mm. right and I said well you know I understand that and but what can we do and then we end the conversation that what can we do so I think that we need to acknowledge that and hear that unfortunately that's the thing my issue sometimes with administration is that we're not hearing we're not dialing we're not having this conversation and we're pitching people against each other so when we talk and we had the conversation say you know what yes I think maybe we should place these statues in a museum so that we can do about this can be about education and learning about the facts 
I didn't know about that. And now we're going to have a conversation with one of the Little Italy, um, you know, community groups uh, in the next month so that we can talk about how can we honor your heritage in a way that represents our values as a city, all of our values, and but I not think dismissing so each other. So many times, I think part of the problem is we're all waiting for our turn to speak, and we're never really taking that opportunity to listen to what the other side says. Part of the problem, some of the other problem is sometimes we don't have that opportunity to dialogue right. with people who have different views. So this is why I, I'm so grateful that you've been able to come and kind of talk to us about, um, and, and I do want to talk about other things, and I do want to introduce our other guest who we have, Andrew <laughs> Holmes here. If you uh, watch local news, you, you'll oh, recognize <laughs> him as somebody who kind of... Uh, comes in and talks about the uh, the epidemic of Chicago gun violence. And I kind of, Andrew, here's what's interesting. Yourself, the alderman, you're both activists, but also publicly elected officials. And it kind of, um, he, he, within my union, I, I have always been an activist. I've always been out on the outside of the establishment, someone who's wanted changes. And then I see when I get into that position, it can sometimes be frustrating because you've got goals, you've got missions, but you've got to work within this establishment. Alderman, I'm going to ask you about that. But, Andrew, I want to ask you about that as well. When you see that there's a problem that needs to be addressed, namely Chicago gun violence, of which you've been an activist for, how do you go about um, projecting that message? How do you go about getting the trust of the community and making sure you can deliver and bring home a message that this has got to end? Well, you know, first and foremost, um, it's hard. Because you have to have the family working together, too. You know, and I always said this, charge it to my head, not my heart. Fathers go back. I don't care if you have a little boy or a little girl, and you separate it. Go back and be that voice, because your voice is just as strong as mine. Mothers, the same thing. If you separate it from your teenage kids, go back. Go back. Save that soul, because... You can be the one to keep them from picking up that gun. They need love. They need attention. And a lot of the attention and love look like they're getting it from the streets. They love that gun more than they love that home. And that has to stop. Because, see, they don't understand when that mother's inside that medical examiner's office to identify her loved one and the shock that is on the face of that individual that's laying there. It's deep. They don't want to be in them shoes because that person's laying there without a heartbeat and you discharge that weapon and your heart is still beating. You know, it's tough. But at the same time, we have to keep doing what we're doing to try to enhance the quality of life, to try to get these guns off the streets, keep these guns out of the hands of not only criminals, and they can stop saying these are teenagers that are committing the crimes or committing the violence. We got to teams that have a billion dollar worth of knowledge. We got a lot of adults out here that are doing the shooting and influencing instead of trying to save these souls because we got a lot of smart teenagers. Andrew, I'm going to ask you this. You work with police. You work with the community. You try to get people to step up and realize that this is an epidemic that needs to stop. Too many of our children have been stolen. Uh, we were talking about the ethnic diversity aldermen in your community. It doesn't matter if you're Italian. It doesn't matter uh, what race you are, what neighborhood you grew up in. These are human lives. These are people who have families, who have people who love them. But you've got to go out there and you've got to project a message of we've got to come together but I see you out there every day. I see you out there weekly repeating the same message. What does it take home? What does it take to drive home this point? What does it take? Let's talk about a few, what was it, a few 
days ago, maybe a week ago, when 15 people were shot outside of a funeral home going there to tribute someone who has fallen before and then 15 people are shot and then you come out there and you deliver the same message that uh, we've all heard you deliver many times before how do you change the hearts and minds of people how do you get that dialogue how do you get people to come together instead of uh taking the easy way and letting a gun solve their problems well first when you come out you got to come out with a real stiff message for them you got to pull them to the side look them in their eye and talk to them just like so many of them I say hey Here's an EMT course that can change the rest of your life, and you can save somebody. Take this EMT course, graduate, go into the um, private ambulance service when you graduate, take the advanced course for the Chicago Fire Department, and move on from there. Here's an opportunity for you. And then there's an um, uh, inspector course that they can take. I try to give them some options right here. Here's the job field. Go into this job field. Streets ain't got no job. Opportunities, recidivism, fighting recidivism. Always hard for me to say that word, but combating that and finding a better solution. Alderman, we were talking about what doesn't work. What does work? How can uh, the two of you collaborate? How have the two of you collaborated? How do we get a better future given where we're coming from? How do we work together? Absolutely, and I think uh, I think what Andrew uh, mentions is what we see that in us in our community, in every community, I think that uh, family separation is a terrible thing, and I think that I, I agree. I think that's a that's a thing that we need to understand and really comprehend the trauma, right, of gun violence, the trauma that creates within our communities, within our families, right. And I think when we start getting at that, we need to get to the root of the cause of this, right. Uh, I think the the issue of policing is a reaction to the problem. So continuing to react into the problem, and, if, and that's what I take an issue with, is not going to get us to a better place. So the prevention aspect of thing and making sure that we we prevent like families to be separated and preventing families to live in poverty is a thing at the core of this. If we can create employment opportunities for our community, that's what I am extremely um, disappointed that the city of Chicago continues to allow developers to operate as they please and corporations. And because then we don't get a fresh air, we don't get access to these jobs that are critical to be sustainable. How do we support our small businesses? Not too long ago, I was talking to a small business owner in a, in a community, in, in, in my community, and was saying how inspectors were coming and, and in the middle of a pandemic trying to make this so difficult for small businesses and almost threatening to find $5,000 fines, you know, when they're trying to collaborate and say, well, how can we continue existing, right? I mean, I don't see that level of uh, aggressiveness when I talk about Walmart or Target on these big corporations are well-connected, right? So how do we protect our small businesses who hire locally, who are helping our community in a way? Who can't afford who the can't, lobbyists, who can't come right. in there and even afford the time to come and speak about the issues they have because they're trying to run a business. Absolutely. Uh, so I think so. What my, my, my point here is that I don't want to miss is like at the core of this is addressing the core issues, is making sure that resources are there. Mm -hmm. It's not true that we know. I mean, we have, we have money to subsidize subsidize big developers and corporations, but we don't have money to help these small businesses. We need more black-owned businesses. We need more businesses in our communities so that we can start getting our communities, you know, through full employment, sustainable, good employment. Not the kind of employment that the city of, of Chicago provides. People who have to go now to work two, three jobs, you know, working for these parking uh, deal corporations who pay very little money, and on top of that, they are uh, a disastrous deal for our city, you know. So these kind of jobs are predatory jobs that we're creating 
for our community. What we want is good paying, well, uh, good paying, sustainable jobs that exist in the trades, in the businesses, in our small businesses. We can create them, but I think that the, 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 the ground is tilted here. And I think that corporations, developers have way too much, uh, uh, way too much access, way too many uh, bene- uh, advantages with respect to the average person in the city, the small businesses, the people in the city who need that help. And the resources are there. We just need to make sure that they get to the place where, we, where they need it the most. The lack of action and the lack of response to that is what it creates. I mean, our schools are starving of music programs, arts programs, things that keep our kids engaged, right? So they have defunded our schools, closed them, and now we are defunding also or making it even harder for small businesses or people who are actually helping their communities to continue to exist. In that kind of economy, I tell you, the result is very clear, and we're not going to police our way out of this. We're going only to solve this when we get to the core of the problem, and when I don't see an administration committed to that, I take an issue with that, because, like, you know, uh, like we're discussing here, there are families on the line. There's a fee- there, there's safety of our, fem- of our communities in the line, and we're going to fight until we have real structural change that I know is possible, because we see what is happening now and what is the possibility, and I think that we can do a much better job. Andrew, I'm going to ask you about that. So- so he was talking about the the alderman was talking about the predatorial nature of some of these businesses versus like maybe the symbiotic nature of having a local business that brings in these opportunities that provides these opportunities to these people that you're trying to save how 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 do you help foster that how do you help people realize that maybe this is the way you go tell me about your daily your daily routine in a city that that has an epidemic of gun violence we're dealing with two epidemics we hear it all the time what's your solution to get out there and combat the one that we hopefully have some control over well we gotta get these big businesses involved I mean instead of just coming in raking in the money and going out help the small business business help business that's just about it then when business help business what we need to do is when they hire a teenager or hire someone and they're your that's your employee you should take on a responsibility. If that employee wants to go to school or wants to go to a trade school, invest in paying for his trade or her trade school if they so desire want to go. And as long as they go, invest in his education. And that's how you build up a community. Invest in the education. A big business establishment, you have an employee there full time. And if that young man or that young lady wants to go to a trade school, you should invest in them going to the trade school and follow them through the finish. And as long as they are going and working for you, then you have advanced the quality of their life. A big change. Andrew, I'm going to ask you about this. I know you work um, uh, hand-in-hand with police a lot and, and help bridge that gap. Uh, the alderman and I were talking a little earlier about the uh, the federal troops coming into Chicago, uh, federal agents. Uh, there's concern about lack of oversight. Tell me... How do you view that as a community activist who's out there, who's talking to people? How do you view that? How do the community, the people you talk to view that? Well, you're going to have some that like them. You're going to have some that don't like them. You're going to have some that try them. But I'm one to believe in the community if they come together. we got three things going in this community. Carbon monoxide, you cannot see it. It can kill you. You can die from that. COVID-19, you can't see it neither. It's a silent killer. The biggest silent killer we have is some of the people that are in the community that know who the shooter is Mm -hmm. and won't say anything. 
we can solve all of these crimes ourselves. We can solve them. Police your own community block by block. Um, and, and on that, let's uh, go to our next commercials. Uh, thank you, Andrew, for weighing in on that. Life, Love, and the Grind is proudly sponsored by Rich Lewandowski and our friends at Breaker Press, Chicagoland's top choice for union printing. We're a third-generation family-owned business that has been helping unions and political campaigns win since 1976. We've been involved in hundreds of winning elections, and we get our printed materials to you on time and on budget every time. Whether you're running for the courthouse or the White House, we will take you from concept to design and from print to mail or your supporters' front yards. Breaker Press can help you reach the voters you need. Call Rich at 773-852-5733 or email rich at breakerpress.com. For all of your political printing needs, visit us at breakerpress.com. You're back on Life, Love, and the Grind. Uh, I'm Raza Siddiqui, Sean Allen, sitting this one out, Sar Sadat behind the producing desk. Uh, we're here with two great guests. We have Alderman Bri- uh, Byron Lopez, and we have uh, community activist Andrew Holmes. There's a couple things I, I want to talk about that we haven't had a chance to get on, and that's kind of how you come from the world of activism and get into the world of um you know, let's try to make a difference. As an activist, you can almost see immediate results, right? You go out there, you're hitting the ground running, you're talking to people. It's really a grassroots campaign. Then you get into this establishment where it's about uh, this historical context of how it's always worked. There's um, an institutionalized way to do things. And it might not be that easy to effectuate change as it is when you are on a grassroots level. Is it frustrating? I'll start with you, Alderman. Of course, it's frustrating because, you know, as I said, I'm, uh, and I'm sure Andrew can relate to this, you know, when you are, and I was an organizer and teacher, so you're direct communication, I mean, still am, you know, if we do our job as public servants, right, we should be connected to the needs and, and issues and concerns of our constituents. Uh, when I was an organizer, we have the same, same issue. I think when, uh, you know, we have a failed administration now, of course, one of, you know, investigated, uh, my predecessor is now part of the investigation of indictment alderman mm. under a case uh, that, uh, you know, has Perkin trial. Um, we saw what's happening, right? And the lack of action and lack of support and the consequences in our community. So, of course, it's frustrating when you see the lack of action. And now, you know, when you come and say... And lack of representation, lack I'm of sure, is what Absolutely. the community seen. Absolutely. When, because you, you're, there are lives on, on the line. When you, I, I was a so, uh, volunteer soccer coach. I saw some of my former students getting killed, you know, victims of violence. We have seen, you know, the effects on families that we know we just you know uh recently had another um another shooting of a terrible shooting and um it was a little outside of my word but i affected one of my constituents right a, a 17 year old uh 16 year old uh teenager again so um so when we see this kind of level of violence what we want is 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 results we want to make sure that this doesn't happen again that we want to prevent this from happening and when we don't see this so you have something personally at stake in your heart that you want to get out there and you got a message hey guys listen to me I'm sure sometimes it's like just shouting to yourself in an echo chamber. Or do you find uh, allies there? Do you find people willing to listen, work together towards these ends? Well, there's obviously, I think there are allies in, in, in terms of the city council, right? And I think, of course, there's a lot more outside city council right now. And I do think that's what brings me, I think, hope, but also uh, determination to see that the city of Chicago, I think that our constituents are getting more, uh, more involved, more informed. 
and I think at that extent, I think ourselves as public officials have to be more responsive and uh, and and unlike many um, you know other officials who may help, may help not have that approach of the grassroots, perhaps they need to start adjusting to making sure that they're directly responding to the needs on the ground, which uh, right now they don't see. I think a lot of the concerns and, and frustration on the ground and by community groups and people in Chicago is the lack of response, the lack of action, the lack of results uh, on the city council, like police accountability being one of them. It's being repeated time after time. We have a bill, the civilian um, um, oversight of the police uh, bill, the CPAC uh, ordinance that we wanna, uh, that we have been trying to uh, to introduce, and we still have a, a, a difficult time. I mean, we've seen the many cases of police brutality. You know, Rakia Boyd, we see Laquan McDonald. When I mean, George Floyd was. When does it end? And I think the issue here is when we have forty percent of our budget, right, that goes towards uh, the police department in this case. We should also be expecting checks and balances. There's no favor that we're getting into that. We demand checks and balances. So, again, at the extent that people in city council and the mayor understand that, I do think that we will be able to make better choices. I think at the extent that we listen to what's happening on the ground, we avoid people suffering. We prevent violence. The lack of, and again, going back to the statues, creates you know, more suffering, more violence, because you know, when the administration is stunned deaf, or what's happening on the ground, or their misunderstanding, or in quite frankly, you know, disconnected, mm. or don't have the experience to address this. We have bad decisions to affect all of us. Every single city, every single block of our city gets affected by this. So again, our job is to make sure that we make good choices in terms of policy. We pass good ordinances, ordinances to get to the core of the problem. When we don't do that, we continue to see a city that has failed the vast majority of Chicagoans at the, you know, at the expense of them to benefit the super rich, the billionaires, and the well-connected. I was at a rally where I heard one uh, speaker refer to you as my friend, the alderman, and she said, uh, you know, I never thought I'd be calling an alderman my friend because they're not so approachable. I, mm-hmm. I, I almost wonder how you can be an alderman and not be approachable to your community. So, mm-hmm. Andrew, I'm going to ask you this. You're on the streets. You're on the ground. You're meeting with the community. You've really got your pulse on it. How how easy is it to access the lawmakers, the elected officials, the people who can actually maybe effectuate some of this change? Do you find that they're responsive? Do you find that it's a challenge to get in touch with them? What's it like from your perspective as a, as a community activist? Well, some is a challenge, but, you know, the only heartbreak that I have about that is when they do give out these grants to organizations, you know, you're giving them out to the same old organization. There's some, I've looked like mom and pop stores that are not getting the advantage. You have some people that stay on the blocks that have some organization that knows the streets, knows the schools. They need that op- same opportunity, too, to get those grants for their 501c and organization. And I believe they can work their neighborhood. They can work their communities. And they have so many ideas that are being missed. And some of our legislators need to sit down with them and listen to them because, see, they have a lot of knowledge that can help and that can break this cycle. I'm not the only voice out there. we got a lot of men and women out there whose voices are stronger than mine. And if they just take the chance to listen to them, listen to their opportunities, listen to what they're providing, and help them, giving them the same opportunities that you've been giving the grants and everything to other organizations for the last 10 years. 
Alderman, you came from out of the box, right? You were an outsider. You found your voice, uh, a way to represent your community and come in. How do you give a voice to these organizations that Andrew's talking about to step up and really be able to realize their potential for themselves and the community that they are directly involved in and, and, and touch every day? Mm-hmm. How do these opportunities get created? I think fundamentally it has to be with, with with your own connections to the community, right? Making sure that we have a relationship, that we understand what's going on, who is out there, like Andrew mentioned, who is out there helping the community, who are the small businesses who need support, who are, the, who are the organizations that are doing violence prevention programs. We do have them, for instance, in my ward, that are working, and we work with social workers in the schools who know some of the young kids. We, we want to do this work. Unfortunately, the problem, as I said, is that who gets the support and who doesn't. So when we politicize these issues, when, we, when, when this becomes about who do you know and what, or, or in, rather than what we need to do to address these issues, I think that we're replicating some of the issues of the past. This kind of uh, pay-to-play politics that had little to do with helping people but more with helping my friends and those who uh, I want to favor, right? So again, that's what I think the, the, the different approach and I think that and some of my colleagues, and I gotta say it, there are people in the council who have had taken a different approach to government when we are accessible, when we actually are in our offices working every day, listening, taking calls. I taking calls and those are the hardest calls that I take when I, I have to take a call of a mother who lost a child to gun violence. And I had to take, not to be a performative action to say, okay, well, let me see what I can go say to the press. Hmm. No, let's look at the core of the problem. Let's see how this can, this should have never happened. And it's the, 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 the biggest tragedy to get some of these calls. And I'm taking a, too many of those already in my first year. So for, me, for us, yes, it is important because of the people that we know. These are our neighbors, the people that, that work with us, that we see in our, in, in our community. And again, you know, we, when we start con- connecting the dots, what we see is that the humanization of our communities, in a way. When we see developers come and taking over and then buying property left and right, and small businesses struggling, don't get the relief, but those who are connected, not only not only they get retro treatment, they get public subsidies as well. So this kind of corruption hasn't stopped. And I think that what we need to do is to make sure that we bring real relief, especially during a pandemic. Relief for those small businesses, relief for these organizations who are doing the work. So for us, is 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 being out there with the people being out there because those are the people that we're serving. The, this role of public servants, unfortunately, um, has not been uh, has not been executed the way that it should be. And it's a fundamental. Local politics are very important. Local politics where a lot of things happen. And I think our community needs to be more involved. If we want to make sure that we bring those resources to prevent violence and get more informed, I think when people start participating and seeing the structural issues that we have, it's very obvious that we are not getting the resources that we need, but being blamed for it. Being blamed for all this community so and so, you know, this community was and uh, like the mayor said, those were undesirable communities, uh, as I mentioned, like in Pilsen, like ten years ago. No, those are communities that are beautiful communities. Our communities are beautiful. We have seventy-seven beautiful communities in the city of Chicago. Every community has its own intrinsic value, has its own story. Absolutely. And instead of casting it one way, let's find out what that story is and find the beauty within. Absolutely, and invest in it. Let's invest in that beauty. Every neighborhood has a beautiful story. Beautiful stories. How do we invest in them to thrive and to make them sure that they thrive? Not only the downtown area, but we have 77, I mean, I 
tell you the number of people who come to see Communities in the World, they, they, they see the diversity. We have one of the most beautiful cities because we are the, one of the most diverse cities in the world, but yet one of the most segregated. And it's not by choice, it's by policy. Because people want to be connected. I tell you, we just recently had a forum, uh, a, a community forum, and we brought all the neighborhoods together. And the beauty and joy that people saw, just finding out the different challenges that we face, and we can start finding common ground. We need to do more about connecting our communities, investing in them, not criminalizing them and disinvesting in them, which seems to be the, the past, and I hope that's not the future. And, and if that's the case, we're going to fight that because we cannot afford it. We, and we're in a point that we're a pivotal moment in the city of Chicago, and there are public officials out there determined to make sure that we uh, we do justice justice for our constituents. Uh, I, 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 a pivotal moment in the city of Chicago. Andrew, uh, real quickly, you have something to say? we got a yeah, minute the, left. In the the aldermen make a good point about need to come on out and get involved. Need to change their lifestyles and come on out. I, I, I piggyback to the homeless. Come on out there and sleep where I slept at with them on the ground with them rats and bugs at night while you sleeping in a soft bed. Then see how it feel. That's what I've been pushing. That's what I've been telling them for the longest. Come on out here and sleep on this concrete, sleep on the ground with these rats and these rodents, and then tell me what's the difference and why you don't want to come out and help and get them off the ground. Walk a mile in your brother's shoe, and you can maybe see what he, where he's coming from. I, uh, I could not have said it better myself, and I thank both of my guests for coming on Life, Love, and the Grind. We have Andrew Holmes. We had Alderman Byron Lopez. Of course, this is not going to ever be solved with one conversation. <laughs> I hope to have you guys both on again and weigh in as some of this uh, proceeds. But thank you both for being yes, my sir. guests today on Life, thank Love, you. and the Grind. Thank you much. Mm -hmm.